Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hello my friends, this is Jim, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about facing the challenges and overcoming the tests and trials that we face in life through faith in God, faith in God's Word, uh, faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I've just come full circle with that explanation, but uh, that really sums it up. We live in a world where there's a lot of conflict, but there is good news. Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I remember the first time I read that verse, and this little voice in the back of my head said, well, that's great for him, but what about you? And uh, that was at the beginning of my journey, which started back in 1986, when I first believed. You see, I was brought up in a Catholic household, and uh, we went to church kind of regularly, but that fell off as the years went by. And I always had this feeling like God was there and God was looking down upon me um, as just being a child, and that God's presence was a real thing. And I kind of sort of understood about Jesus, but not really, I guess I just understood it in a child's type of mindset, where I knew he was there, I knew he was in heaven, but I had never done anything like personally receive him like we understand it maybe in other Christian circles uh, today. In other words, I didn't pray what some people call the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus to come into my life and change and transform me. I didn't do that till later on um, when I was 20 years old, I believe. It was right before I was 21 years old, I remember, because I was getting close to drinking age. And I was looking forward to turning 21 before that time and going out and going into the bar scene. And, you know, it was just an, it's a new thing in life when you're a young person. Um, I don't know how people think today. I really don't. I can't say I, I could speak for any 20-year-old today, but... Maybe some out there, I'm sure, can relate. Maybe a lot not, but that was just the world that I grew up in back then, and um, I wasn't in what you would call a, a drug culture or a drinking culture. Yeah, I kind of was in respect that, you know, what teenagers do, but it wasn't anything over the top. Um, it wasn't anything where there was, um, you know, severe addictions to anything or, or anything like that, uh, or failing out of school, uh, thank God. Nothing like that. But uh, in 1986, I did pray, and I began a journey of faith, a conscious one where I knew that Jesus was there. I knew the Father was there. Um, and then a short time later, I prayed, uh, according to the book of Acts, and asked God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. At that time, I was really confused about the whole thing about the praying in tongues, and, and it was something that uh, it, whatever gifts God had, I wanted them. Anytime I saw a gift that was in the New Testament— I wanted that, and the, and the tongues was no different. And I remember going back and forth, is this today, is this not for today? One preacher said that the devil can give you, you know, his own uh, speaking in tongues, counterfeit gift, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then other people I knew who were um, really good people that I knew personally that I had gotten to uh, know through the, the church that I went to at the time— they uh, were solid people, and they prayed in tongues or prayed in the Spirit, whatever label you want to put on it. And so I went all around with all of these different 
should you believe it like this or should you believe it like that? And it got to the point where, and I know maybe you can relate to this or not, but you need to believe the Bible because you see it for yourself, not because somebody that maybe you respect a lot told you that it was one way or the other. You know, because you'll find people that you respect on both sides of the coin on just about any issue, some for or against, and then you have to settle it in your own heart. You know, the Bible talks about um, this issue in regards to other things also, like back in the time when the New Testament was forming, when the Apostle Paul walked the earth, and it was after maybe 30 years or so after uh, Jesus' resurrection, um, after what we read transpired in the Gospels. There, there was a time there where there was a lot of going back and forth about things like, is it wrong to eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol? You know, that, that was a, a thing at the time because there was a lot of idols and, you know, they sacrifice, uh, make sacrifices to these idols. And then, you know, what would they do with the meat afterwards? I guess they would just cut it up and eat it. And, um, and so some people that, that bothered their conscience, in other words, that they were eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol. Other people didn't bother at all. Well, I remember back over the years, there was a question about, well, is this sin or is that not sin? You know, is it sin to do this or that? Well, the argument was settled in the New Testament by Paul saying, whatever is not a faith is uh, of sin. In other words, let each man be persuaded in his own heart. Because you see, it gets very easy to slip back into the law and regulations again. Because whether something is sin or not, just because we're in this mortal body, right, um, we do things that are wrong. We make bad choices. And sometimes we do it knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. But th that's the reason why Jesus came, to set us free from the law. Um, we're not under law. We're under grace. You know, and then I heard the arguments going back and forth about that. Well, how much grace are we actually under? And what I discovered over the time is that you need to um, not turn your faith into an intellectual pursuit. Now, there's not, nothing wrong with studying and going to school and learning things. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying that we have the Holy Spirit of the Bible living on the inside of us. So, for example, maybe you go to college and you learn a skill, and then you take that knowledge with you, and you go out into the world, and it's not like you have your teachers uh, with you, guiding you through everything that you do. Right? You learn from hands-on experience after you leave school. Well, spiritually speaking, you have the author of the Bible living on the inside of you. It's not like you have to take these truths, intellectually um, sort them out, and figure out how to use the Bible and how to use God's promises to get ahead in life. It's not like that at all. We read the Bible because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the will of God. We live, those of us who believe in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, we believe that the Testament is the will of God. We believe it's God's last will and testament to mankind. And so when a wealthy person dies, you know, everybody gets together for the reading of the will. You know, the whole family gets together. So when a, when a multimillionaire or a billionaire uh, dies, then people come out of the woodwork Right? The whole family wants to be there because you never know, are you in the will or not? And once the will is read, 
we know what that person did or didn't want. And that's the idea of having the New Testament here today. Now, if we were alive during Jesus's time, I want you to think about this for a minute. If we were alive during Jesus's time, it says the fame of him went abroad as he healed everybody that was brought to him. It says they brought the sick, infirmed, and demon-possessed, and it said he healed and cast out demons, and he healed them all over and over and over again. He healed them all. Matter of fact, the only hometown he didn't heal everyone in that was brought to him was his own hometown, and it says the people there were offended by him. He said all he did in his own hometown, because of their unbelief, was that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Matter of fact, they tried to cast him headlong off a cliff. That's how offended they are. They were by him. Who does this person, who does he think he is? This is the son of Joseph the carpenter? This is Jesus the carpenter trying to, to convince us he's the Messiah? And, and they were offended. You know, sometimes when people are presented with the truth, they get offended. Have you ever been offended by the truth? I'm not even talking about biblical truth, just the truth and the circumstances. Has it ever hit you and, and you just reacted emotionally? And, and then when you put a little bit of distance between yourself and that situation, you begin to see things in a different light. You see things clearly and you almost feel embarrassed how you acted at the time. Everybody, I think, can relate to that on one level or another. If you think about it long enough, I'm sure you'll be able to come up with a time or two that you did that. But it says he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. So when we hear of uh, when we read the stories like the woman with the issue of blood, she was an outcast. And she couldn't go around people because she had an issue of blood. She had to back in the day, if you, had, you were unclean, you had to shout you were unclean like a leper. Let people know you were coming or else if they caught you, you would be stoned. So but she heard of Jesus and faith came. So it's not like somebody went to her and took Psalm 103.3 and said, hey, look at this scripture. It says, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. That's for you. And this Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord. So I bet you that if you just get close enough to him and touch him, you'll be healed. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Internally, though, she heard of Jesus healing and raising the dead. Right? Maybe maybe she thought about we don't even know if this woman could read or not. Right? Maybe she just thought about it. And she dwelled on it. And she thought, you know what? He has power coming out of him. She just believed it. Right? She didn't watch a video where people were testifying, probably. She probably just heard that I'm saying that in jest because you know today we watch videos and listen to audios and we have all these teaching materials. But she just heard about Jesus. The same thing with the centurion. Do you think the centurion read Exodus 15, 26, which says, I am the Lord that healeth thee? I change not. <laughs> do, you think, do you think he read that and thought, well, I, you know, I can go to Jesus because he's a man of authority. Actually, he has authority. And I can get my servant healed. He doesn't even have to come to my house. All he has to do is say the word. Matter of fact, um, I prefer him not to come to my house because, you know... I'm really not a worthy man, and I haven't been living for God and everything like that. But being that Jesus is healing everybody, I need to approach him for my servant because um, I don't want him to die. I don't want him to suffer anymore. So all of the faith comes by hearing was literally hearing. It wasn't like sitting down reading scriptures. Well, 
Now, after the fact, thank God we have the scriptures. Right? They didn't have a New Testament. They just saw it. They heard the words that Jesus said. People started writing it down. Right? There, that was a culture. Think about it. That's what scribes do. Scribes record things. They were recording things since the da- days of antiquity. Right? That's why we have the book of Genesis. Right? That's why we have the writings of Moses. But Jesus said those writings spoke of him. And obviously there were some people that believed that. Right? Because they heard the things he did. In other words, his works spoke for themselves that God was with him. Even, even a Pharisee or two believed that. They said, no one can do these works except God be with them. So they, they took Jesus' words as God speaking to them. Now, you and I, we weren't there at the time. And thank God we have the written New Testament because it's kind of like the will. This was left for all of those generations that would follow. Thomas made that statement. He said, I will not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead except I see the uh, nail prints in his hand and, and put my hand in his side where the spear went through. I will not believe. I will not believe. You know, he was just offended by that whole thing. And, th- and think about how, how that uh, ripples down to us today. You know, the, um, the devil, the deceiver, whether he was in the serpent or used the serpent or worked through the serpent or was literally the serpent in the Garden of Eden, he did say to, to um, Eve, hath God said, questioning, did God really mean what he said? Yeah, he's been doing that ever since. Matter of fact, when uh, Jesus quoted the scripture when he was tempted by him, you can read that in the beginning of the Gospels, when he went out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, to, to pass the test that the first Adam failed. Um, Jesus said, it is written. Well, it got to the point where even the devil said, started saying, well, isn't it also written? Right? So even the, even the devil acknowledges the truth of the scripture. Right? He just twists it to his own end. And so the great thing is, is that we, we have access to God's word all over the place today. We have it on tablets. We have it in physical Bibles. Um, we have it on audio. We have it on video. We have it on movies. All of these things. Faith comes by hearing. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about faith is you have to choose to believe. Right? We choose to believe. And, uh, and as I went through my journey, let me just talk a little bit about this. I heard this put really well the other day. And I thought, I need to share this. And the, per- the person said it's it's not, this is uh, somebody who was a preacher back in the 50s, wrote this. He said, it's not faith in God's power that secures his blessings, but faith in his love and in his will. Let me read that again. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not faith in God's power that secures his blessings. Physical, financial, spiritual, mental, whatever it is that you need. But faith in his love and in his will. You know, the funny thing, when you think about all of these multitudes coming to Jesus, healing them all, you don't see anybody questioning, anybody having the kind of theology that questions whether it was God's will to heal them or not. They all just came. Obviously, when you start start healing a bunch of people, it's kind of like if somebody starts giving money out, you know, when you see the bills, like uh, uh, throngs of people suddenly come because maybe you can get some. Right? Isn't that true? 
somebody gives away something of value and they have a lot of it, suddenly they start drawing big crowds. Well, Jesus had a lot of God's power. And when all kinds of things started happening, like mute people started talking, it says he healed the maimed and the lepers. You know, lepers were missing body parts. That means not only did he stop the leprosy, but he restored the parts that were had missing pieces. In other words, people that had missing fingers had the fingers back again. Instantly. Right? I mean, these were miraculous things. And of all of the things that the Pharisees accused Jesus of doing, no one ever accused him of producing false miracles. Not even when the dead was raised. Instead, they accused him by do- using Satan's power to do it. And, you know, when I started realizing that, I thought, you know, there's whole denominations today that would rather believe or find it easier to believe that if God is moving, that it's really the devil's power to, to deceive people. Especially, you know, if it's like a popular preacher or something like that. But that, that, that's not really the point I want to get to. The point I want to get at is that you have the God of the Bible living inside of you. Right? Jesus said, it's to my advantage, it's to your advantage that I go away so the Holy Spirit will come to you. You know, so I'm going through my journey and I got to tell you some of the crazy things that I was taught. I was taught about bombarding the gates of heaven. Made sense at the time. It's like, well, you know, there's a serious problem. We all need to pray and bombard the gates of heaven until we get an answer. You know, then I found in the Bible that it says all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Right? Jesus never changed. He went about doing good, healing all, not most, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So, you know, you might think, well, yeah, that says that, but I know a bunch of people that prayed and believed, and the person they prayed for died anyway. Or I know a person that believed and they died anyway. You know, why did that happen? Or they'll pick out one or two, even though you see multitudes healed in Jesus's ministry, multitudes healed in Paul's ministry, even towards the end of the book of Acts, when all the people on the island came to him that were sick and infirmed, and all those people got healed, people would want to identify with the one that didn't. Right? We look around today and we see the one that didn't multiplied more than, than the masses. And then we just assume that, well, that must be God's will because that's what's happening. But think about it. Everywhere Jesus went in his earthly ministry, he was opposed. People want to kill him. That wasn't the will of God. The will of God was that the gospel be preached. The opposition wasn't coming from God. God wasn't opposing Jesus, in other words. It was Satan, the devil, evil spirits. They were the ones that were motivating the mobs against him. And, um, you know, they were the ones that wanted to throw him headlong off the pinnacle in his hometown. Everywhere Jesus went, opposition was right on his heels. And so a lot of times people have opposition today and they think, well, this is coming from God or God's allowing it. Well, God's allowing it in the sense that, you know, if if you're a boxer in the ring, you're going to get hit by some punches because you're in a fight. We live in a world where we are in a fight. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Why? Because enemies are all around us. The New, uh, the Old Testament, actually, um, that classic verse, I prepared you a table in the midst of your enemies is um, it's just a, a classic illustration of this truth. The table is there, 
the food is on the table, the bounty is on the table, but we're still surrounded by enemies. So then there will come a day when we'll leave this place and we won't be surrounded by enemies anymore. But right now, the time that we're in, the era that we're in, is one of conflict. Right. So we go back and forth between overcoming, kind of like the fighter in the ring, right? We fight, and then when that fight ends, we step out of the ring, and there's a time of rest and a time of refreshing. That's why uh, Paul or uh, Peter said that um, he he actually referred to it as being in a season of testing, going through a season of tribulation, if need be. He said. Let me look up that verse. Here we go. First Peter chapter one, verse six. Actually, let's start in um, verse number three. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead <coughs> to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time resurrection new heavens new earth in other words in this or in this knowledge you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you are grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found in to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is coming with rewards. Rewards why? Because, quote-unquote, you, you, you went into that ring, you fought the fight, you fought many fights. Right? But, uh, champions don't have a record of like 1-0. Right? They, they go through. Some, some of them have 20 fights, 30 fights, 40 fights. Some fighters fought 100 fights. And and they had moments of glory when they overcame the opposition. It's just like that. It's just like that with us. Right. So so our resolve is tested by not by God but by our opponent. God doesn't have to test your faith. The devil tests the genuineness of your faith. Isn't that what kind of happened to Job? Right. God. He questioned. The devil questioned the genuineness of his faith, saying that the only reason why he's serving you is because you blessed him. I don't want to get too much into that, but I want to keep it even with this this uh, fighter analogy. First Corinthians chapter nine verse twenty six. That's another one. By the way, I didn't just pull that verse off the top of my head. I actually remember the numbers. I remember a lot of scripture, but sometimes you know I get a number mixed up, or I'll put a, a second instead of First Corinthians or something like that. And just in case you're wondering, but it's easy enough to to look up these scriptures. Even if you can quote them partially, you can find anything online or using Bible software. But um, the English Standard Version, it says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's um, This is the uh, English Version, and it, there it's talking about athletics and boxing fighters. Right? In other words, he... He, he doesn't waste his energy, doesn't waste his punches. Right? He, he's disciplined. Well, well, faith and belief requires some discipline. Right? Because if you pray for something and you, and you don't see an answer, 
Um, again, I was talking about the people that say bombarding the gates of heaven. Well, you know, the, the one who is in heaven is actually in you now, right? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is the vine, you are the branches. What, what do you have to actually break through other than your own doubts and your own fears? You don't have to break into heaven. You're already seated, the Bible says, with Christ in heavenly places. So you can see some of these teachings are just steeped like a tea bag in unbelief. And we don't recognize it a lot of times, but we think things that are filled with doubt and fear, and that causes us to have negative feelings. And if you have negative feelings, sometimes you just assume that you're really not believing. But believing has nothing to do with feelings. Believing is a choice. Did you ever have these fearful thoughts coming to you that something was going to turn out a certain way or something bad was going to happen, but then it didn't? Have you ever relied on somebody and, and you felt kind of feelings of fear coming up because you could easily envision them not coming through or not following up or not doing what they say they were going to do, but then they did do it and then you, you breathe a sigh of relief? I've had that same thing with prayer in my own life where I prayed for things and it felt like God didn't hear me and it looked like God didn't hear me. You know, and, and I had to go back to this thing. It's not, we all have faith in the power of God, but where the question comes up, is in the love of God and in the will of God. Right? Because we know we understand love from a human standpoint. Right? But human love is diluted with selfishness. Think about that. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons. He loves you and me equally. Now somebody comes at theology may jump in there and say, yes, but one is more pleasing and one is and, and well that's really not the point. The point is is that if you have a child and you love that child and that child sins or transgresses or something like that and they truly repent and they're truly sorry, how long does it really take you to forgive them? Probably not too long. Or a good friend of yours or a family member comes to you in, in, in true um, repentance. You know, repentance means to change your way of thinking. Somebody comes to you and says, I was selfish, I was wrong, I am so sorry. Do you hold it against them? Right? Well, God doesn't hold things against us. But yet sometimes we think, well, there, we, we, we create reasons for failure. Right? That's what fear does. Fear creates reasons for failure. In other words, some people even fail on purpose. Because the fear is so intense that if they fail on their own terms and they don't have to deal with the fear anymore, it's, at least it's over with. You know, some people do that. I kind of think suicide is kind of like that, if you, it just came to mind. If a person is so depressed they don't want to go it, through it anymore, then they really, they do the ultimate failure. They kill themselves so they don't have to deal with, the, with, the, um, with their failures or with their lack of hope anymore. They don't have to deal with it anymore. You know, but un unfortunately, you know, the truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it at that. So, First uh, John five fourteen. Uh, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Well, the New Testament is His will, right? If the New Testament isn't His will, if something was left out, then we have to rely on what the Holy Spirit to show us what the will is, will of God is. Wouldn't it be easy to then become self deceived or self deluded? I mean, for example, um, if we didn't have the record of what Jesus did. If it was just like the phone game, if it wasn't actually written down, then people over the uh, over the years could have changed things and no one would have contested it. So, for example, when these uh, letters were first written, 
You know, they were authenticated by the man that walked with the man. I said, yeah, I knew the Apostle John. I know he wrote this. Or I knew James, the brother of Jesus. Or uh, I knew James and John, the sons of thunder. We knew them personally. And we were taught by the guy that taught them, you know. I mean, we, if you look at how it goes, you know, Jesus taught 12 people. And, and those 12 people taught a bunch of people. And those people taught other people. And all this was written down so that any deviation would be caught. If there's no written will, then we can contest what that person's will was. Hey, he didn't want to. He didn't want the Mercedes left to to uh, Jane. He wanted those Mercedes given to me. Well, if there's no written will to, con you know, then we can contest it. The idea of having a will is that it becomes uncontestable. In other words, it's solid. It, it surpasses emotions. Uh, it surpasses all arguments. That's what the New Testament, it is the will of God. And it's expressed probably better than even the words in just watching what Jesus did. His actions spoke just as loud as any words ever could. But thank God we do have the words to go along with it. We have all the words. And Jesus never turned anybody away. And so when it comes to breaking through, when it comes to um, convincing, we don't need to convince God to heal anybody. We don't need to convince God to save anybody. Think about this, how unbelief works. You heard the gospel and believed. Do you know people that it didn't work for? In other words, do you know people that heard the gospel and doubted it or didn't believe it? It's the same thing within the church when it comes to things like deliverance. Do you believe that God will deliver you from your financial problems? There's scriptures that show he will, that, that reveal the will of God on this. God's no respecter of persons. He delivers one, he'll deliver all. He can deliver by few or he can deliver by many. It says in uh, one of my favorite scriptures here that I just, I'm not even sure I wrote this down. Hold on a second. Here we go. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Couple that with a simple scripture like Luke 18.1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. If you know the, what the will of God is, what does it say? 1 John 5.14, if we ask anything, we know that if we ask anything according to his will, we, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions desired of him. If you know the will of God, if you know the love of God, then you can walk by faith and not by sight. If you don't know the will of God, and you aren't confident in the love of God, you use sight to determine whether or not it was God's will or not. Think about that. In other words, if you pray for something, and you know what the will of God is, then you don't attribute delays to God. In other words, you're not blaming God for delays. The Bible says that Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. That's why he was able to stand in faith for so long. It says he grows strong in faith, giving glory to God. He was fully persuaded. When you're fully persuaded, then you can walk by faith. When you're not fully persuaded, you gauge what the will of God is by what you're seeing. So you just determine that if it's hard, maybe God doesn't want me to go down that route. Or maybe God doesn't want to give this to me. But if it's plain, if it's right there in, in the will, 
There's some things that are not plain. The Bible doesn't tell us what we should, where we should live, what jobs we should take, who we should marry, who, we, who our friends would be. Right? That's not in the will. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us for that, to lead us and guide us. Right? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is in us, causing us both to will and to do his good pleasure. But when it comes to the curse of the law, right? What did the what did the curse of the law? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse brought um, everything evil that affects the spirit, that affects the soul, that affects the body and the outward life. Christ has redeemed us from oppression, both spirit, soul, and body. Christ has redeemed us from sickness, spirit, soul, and body. Christ has redeemed us from poverty, spirit, soul, and body. He will cause the enemies that rise up against us to be smitten before us. And it goes on and on and on. It's, it's really, once you recognize it, it's just common sense. Right? But, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you can't have faith unless you've heard God's word. Because if you haven't heard God's word, you don't know what his will is. And Jesus demonstrated the will of God. So let me go, and I know this. a lot of this is borders on, uh, I know it sounds good and everything like that, but let me just talk to you about a few things in my own experience. I've talked about this in podcasts before, but the very first time I prayed, I had these growths on my thumb for about three years. And I prayed, and nothing happened. And I read a book where this man was talking about a testimony of how God healed him of something similar on his chest. And I wrote down his testimony, and I, I prayed. And every day I got up, and I remember I, I wrote Mark eleven twenty four out. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe. Believe you receive it, and you'll have it. Right? If I believe I receive it when I pray, then I'm not going to ask for it tomorrow or the day after. So I prayed, asked for it once, and then I prayed Thanksgiving over and over and over again for, for three months. Then one night I went to bed, got up the next morning, and they were gone. Right there, there the night the night I went to bed in the middle of the night, the manifestation happened. Now, when did God actually answer the prayer? The Bible says, Ask and you receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. Everyone that asks, not most people, shall receive, everyone that seeks shall find, and to him that knocks it shall be open. I believe that I paid I really didn't believe and I got to heaven. If I didn't believe God heard me when I when I prayed, and I didn't I didn't look focus on Mark eleven twenty four as being the will of God. I believe if I didn't do that, I would have got to heaven and say, Lord, why, did, why didn't you ever heal me? And he, said, he would have said, I did. I gave it to you the moment, the moment you asked for it. You just didn't receive it. I, I gave it to you. I did what I promised I'd do. Everyone who asks, it's given. I, I asked for healing, I got healing. You ask for help, you'll get help. Maybe it doesn't manifest right away, but that's okay. You're not living for manifestations. You're walking by faith and not by sight. Does that make sense? And so the only person you need to convince is yourself that you've got the answer. You don't need to convince God. right? You don't need to convince God to manifest something, in other words. You don't need to convince God to take the symptoms away. You need to convince yourself that the Bible is God's will for you and that your prayer has been heard and answered. And so going forward, whenever you pray about that situation, your prayer should always be wrapped up in thanksgiving that God has heard you, that you are forgiven, that you are seated 
in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that you have been redeemed from the curse of the law. So sometime later, another thing happened. I remember going back using that same scripture again, but it didn't, it didn't, I didn't have that assurance with that scripture anymore. I turned it kind of like into a formula, right? When, and when you're in a formula, when you use formulas instead of principles, here's the thing you, you're afraid if you're doing it wrong. That's the difference. If you're afraid, uh, am I doing this right? Then you're, you're back, you've created like a little law. And, and, and you become mechanical about it. No, I have a relationship with God. I have the spirit of faith um, on the inside of me. That's what the Bible says. We have the same spirit of faith. I believe that's uh, 2 Corinthians 4.13. We have the same spirit of faith. As it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Right, so I had to find other scriptures. The war wasn't with God. That's, you know, that's the crazy thing. I, God, why did you do it so easy last time? This time you're not doing it. If your problem's with God, you, it's a problem that's unsolvable. No, the Bible says that there is no variance, neither shadow of turning with the Father. The variance is in us. We're just so close to it, we don't, we don't see it. Right, so, so at the time... Um, there, there were just things in my life at, at, at that time that were a little bit different. And so I couldn't go, get back into that formula again. In other words, I had to deal with what was in me, the things that were concerning me or making me afraid. And I remember at the time, you know, I was kind of, I was in a works mentality. I was kind of afraid that, you know, I'm not living the life that's completely pleasing to God. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't like robbing, stealing, uh, cheating, or sleeping around town. I wasn't doing any of those things. It's just that I was more interested in other things than spiritual things. I was more in an entertainment mode at the time. And I wanted to find things that were entertaining me. And then I felt guilty when I needed God's help because I hadn't really been focused on him. I was back in that works mentality again. Right? And, and until I worked that out, I wasn't confident in, even though I saw the will of God there, it didn't feel like that was reality. It felt like he was angry at me. It felt like there was a distance between us. Right? And so we talk about, well, why don't you just storm the gates of heaven? No, your own gates are the ones that are locked, not God's. God hasn't changed from yes to no. It actually says that in the book of James. It's not like God says yes one day and no, and there, he, there's a variance in him. No, he's the same all the time. It says with him there's neither variance, neither shadow of turning. He gives to all men liberally and doesn't withhold. However, you need to ask in faith without wavering, because he that wavers is driven like the wind of the sea, driven and tossed. He's double-minded and unstable. So I was double-minded and unstable. And I didn't even know why was I was doubting or why I felt bad. But I had to deal with it. And so it's the same thing for you. You go into prayer and you pray. If there's something in you that you can't, um, you just find it hard to believe, you've got to do a little bit of soul searching in prayer sometimes and ask God, show you, what is there in me that's keeping me from believing your word? And there's sometimes, even if you can't really find it, you just have that, that icky feeling like, you know, I'm going to lose. There's just something in me. I'm going to lose this one. You ever have that feeling? Maybe it's something with major, something minor. It doesn't really matter. But you've asked and it just feels like your prayers haven't even like penetrated the ceiling. You know, and, and I think about that. And, you know, when you think of heaven as like being far away and you being like way down here, you can forget that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. 
You can forget that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You can forget that you're seated with him in heavenly places, that you're already there, right? You already have an audience with God. And so you have to remind yourself of these truths, and, and, and that will cause some of the doubts and un, unbelief to fade away. But we still live in this body, and so the body's still going, and there's still enemies, spiritual enemies. That voice may still be whispering to you, you're going to die, or this is going to get worse, or this, this condition's going to keep getting worse. There's nothing you could do about it. You've already tried to pray through it, and it's not working. It's not working. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And, and so, you know, I had to deal with the fear of what happens if it doesn't work. I've had to face that. You have to face that. Right? And it's not a matter of convincing God. Right? Lord, can you please answer this prayer even though I'm, I'm filled with unbelief? It's, not, it's a matter of being fully persuaded yourself. You have to persuade yourself. And the only way you can really do that is, number one, is praying, talking to God. Why? Because when you talk to somebody, you're looking, you're focusing on them. When you're talking to God and you know you're talking to God, you're not like meditating on the problem as much, at least. When you begin to speak the truth of scripture, then it's hard for you to be meditating on the lie or meditating on your fears. I had uh, something growing on my head once that looked like a skin cancer lump. And um, it was spotted by somebody. I actually felt it there, but when somebody pulled my hair to the side and saw it in my family, they were like, they were very concerned. They said, you really need to go check. You can pray, but you need to check that out if that's not gone soon. And I remember going in the shower and thinking, if this is cancer, then this is, you know, I'm facing something pretty serious here. If it's pre-cancer and it keeps going, it'll become cancer. So I need to really, this, this is life, this is potentially life or death, my life or death. And so I said what I just said now to God. I said, I need to be able to leave this in your hands and not mess with it anymore in my thought life. Because if I keep thinking about it, I'm going to get discouraged. I know how I am, right? I'm, the, I'm like the fighter. I know if I'm susceptible to left hooks. I know if that's my weakness. And so I'm going to have to, to, to strategize because I know how I am. And, and the nice thing about it is like, you know, if God was your trainer and you're the fighter, it's not like you go into the ring on your own. He's actually inside of you. It's like having the trainer on the inside of you. I, I will never leave you, forsake you. You know, and I've been like you. I have been mad at God for delays and seemingly um, prayer failures and things like that. But I've learned Luke eighteen one says, "Never give up, never lose heart." Why would Jesus say that? Right, because he knew that there would be times that. It would look like God's will was against us. We, you know, the devil comes and says, "Hath God said that everyone will be healed? What about this person?" Right. Well, God's not willing that any should perish, but plenty are perishing all the time. Right. You've already come. If you're a believer, if you call down on the name of Jesus to come into your life and forgive you and save you and transform you, you've already beaten like the biggest obstacle that a human being could possibly face: sickness or disease or financial uh, problems, or personal problems, those are, I mean, in the blink of an eye, those can be overcome. Yeah, but why haven't those been overcome yet? Well, you know, you're not, why that, even asking that shows that there's some doubts stirring around in you that you haven't dealt with yet. Otherwise, you just would have said, I know God will bring it to pass, because I've already got it. I got it the moment I asked for it. It is written, ask and it shall be given you. 
For everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Jesus said, ask it will be given to you. He didn't put all these like disclaimers on it. Like preachers do today. Right? Because you know, we, we could look at faith and, and we could look at it harshly. And we could say, Oh, the reason why you're suffering is because you're doubting. And we can say that in like a haughty, non loving sense. But if we really get real about it, every single one of us knows what it's like to doubt. And for those doubts to seem more real than what the Bible, what is written in the Bible. And to just push through the fear, it doesn't feel nice. Right? It doesn't feel nice sometimes when you're in a fight. You know if you're in a fight. Right? The Bible doesn't say fight the devil. It doesn't say fight the disease. It doesn't say fight the opposition. It says fight the good fight of faith. It's the only fight that is, is winnable. Why? Because Jesus already won the war. So now if you try and fight a fight that he already fought for you, then they kind of cancel each other out. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. That's the fight that matters. And it's not fighting God. It's fighting your own fears, your own doubts, your own insecurities. That's what it is. It's not breaking through the doors of heaven. It's breaking through your own doors of unbelief until you come to the place where those who believe enter into God's rest, where you're at rest. Right, where you're not counting down the days, oh, I've been, I've been praying for this for two months already. I haven't seen anything. Am I really believing or am I doubting? Well, you won't even ask that question once you've entered into rest. Once you into re- enter into rest, you're fully persuaded, and you can say with confidence, I know I got it. I know I got it. You know, Whether it comes to pass today or tomorrow or whatever, I, I'm not even going to touch that in my thought life. The fact is I have it now, and, and you're okay with that. All right. That's about it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, This is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com. Hope you got something out of that. Uh, If you want to contact me, you can do so through the website. Have a great rest of your week. God bless you. Have a safe uh, 4th of July, and I will talk to you again soon.